Michelle Obama's number one bestseller, Becoming, is now available in paperback in a new adapted edition for young readers. In these books and in our lives, Becoming is always a journey. Ours is just beginning. All editions of Becoming are available wherever books are sold. It's a new year and it's time for new possibilities, child. And do we ever need them? Cricket Wireless can help you make the easy switch to the mobile plan that's right for you, starting at $30 a month. Smile and switch to Cricket. Activation and other fees and restrictions apply. Terms subject to change. See store for details. What's up, guys? This is your girl, Kia. Um, Jay's not going to be joining us this week. Y'all keep her lifted in prayer. She's had a death in her family. And, you know, she just needed to focus on, you know, being there to support her family and take care of herself during a difficult time. So before we get the show started off, we want to dedicate this episode to Jay's uncle um, and all of Jay's family. We'll keep them lifted in prayer as they navigate this difficult time of grief. Um, and Jade, I hope you know that you're getting grown family. Love you very much. And we're all praying for you. You just take as much time as you need. And I'm going to try to hold it down. I'm not going to sing this week, but if I have to do this again next week, perhaps y'all will get a little, a little jingle out of me, but welcome back to getting grown y'all. It's going to be a little different this week, but again, um, I'm going to try to take us through our segments as usual, uh, as close to normal as possible, but it's your girl Kia. Um, and I'm holding it down for my sis this week alone, but not really because y'all is always with me around the kitchen table. So let's get to it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to Getting Grown, where we discuss the ghettos of adulting, um, the worst hood, adulthood that we have ever, ever attempted to live in and navigate, but we're doing it together. We talk about the test, the trials, the twists, the turns, the temptations, and the taxes of being a real live adult in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Kia, and typically host this show with my good sis Jade. Um, but you know who sends her love? But we're just gonna hold it down, and I don't want. I'm not gonna keep saying that. So let's just get to it. I'm gonna try to skate through. I've pulled together a little bit of the trash and. Um, also, you know, we've got a, a special guest for our kitchen table. Um, so we'll be glad to bring our good sis and friends to the show. Lovey Jones, Ajayi Jones, um, back to the kitchen table to discuss her brand new New York Times bestseller entitled The Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. Um, and Lovey and I kick in, chop it up for a little bit about, you know, um, this is a book about courage and fighting fear. And it's really a good read. So we'll get into that in a minute. For now, we'll head on over to the kitchen table. No. For now, we'll head on over to, to discuss the trash. I'm sorry y'all got to bear with me a little bit. I'm doing this by myself. But we're going to make it through. Okay, let's go. A clean up woman is a woman who... All right, let's get to uh, this trash. A couple of news headlines I want to cover. Um... You know, just in the way of keeping us all abreast of what's going on in this crazy world of ours. Unfortunately, um, we have to have another announcement of a of a terroristic shooting. 
unfortunately, hate that we have to keep doing this, but on Tuesday, March 16th, a gunman walked into uh, three different spas in Atlanta where he shot and killed eight people. Um, 21-year-old white man by the name of Robert Aaron Long was arrested without incident. That's an important distinction. Um, And is currently being charged with eight counts of murder after a manhunt. Um, the names of these uh, his eight victims have been released. And again, this is a, another demonstration of white supremacy, this time um, by virtue of violence um, and prejudice against um, Asian Americans or the Asian population, Asian community. And so it's unfortunate that we have to, you know, stand in solidarity with another marginalized identity group. Um, in the fight against white supremacy. So our thoughts and prayers and condolences go out to all the families of all of the victims um, and anyone who's negatively impacted by what's going on there in Atlanta. And I'm going to, you know, commit to doing my due diligence of getting more educated around um, ways that we can lend our support um, behind Um, This anti-Asian and Asian-American violence that is happening is another demonstration of white supremacy in our country. And we have got to be as fierce in our advocacy and the fight for social justice for all parties, Um, not just, uh, you know, black and brown people. So unfortunately, we have another horrible announcement to make, but we'll keep it moving in less (laughs) less tragic news. Derek Jackson, okay? Relationship guru Derek Jackson was recently uh, caught, you know, being involved in some infidelity. A young woman came forward, you know, describing her romantic dealings with Derek Jackson while he was married to his wife of uh, three years, I believe, that they married in 2018. Today, I think as recent as today, Derek Jackson and his wife made a very strange video (laughs) where he apologized and... Uh, took accountability for his involvement and said that he and his wife were working things out. He alleges that he never slept with this young woman um, or the alleged other woman. And, you know, the I guess the jury is out about that. But you know, I, what blessed me, I should say it blessed me, but what I found to be most entertaining about this whole scenario is that Derek Jackson uh, wrote a book and published a book uh, a couple of years ago. And the name of the book was called A Cheating Man's Heart. And I just felt like there was a lot of iron in those knees, okay? (laughs) And maybe he was telling us all along, right? Maybe the truth was right there in front of our eyes and we just chose to look past it. But either way, you know, I hope that Derek Jackson's wife is safe. That video gave me a bad vibe, okay? Says blink twice. Blink twice if you need somebody to come and get you. And that's all I will say about that. Um, Sweetie and Quavo have publicly called it quits. Ex- exchanged in a little petty banter and back and forth um, after Saweetie made her formal announcement via Instagram of her singlehood. Quavo responded, being salty and sour, that she would not remain loyal to him despite his, you know, frequent infidelity. You know, same story, different uh, a couple. <laughs> but, you know, Saweetie is single and we'll be looking forward to see what's going on Um in the romantic features of both Saweetie and Quavo. Um, let me see what else is here on this list. Little Mama. I don't even know if I want to get into this, but Little Mama is talking out of turn yet 
again. And I just wish, you know, I want to get into the details of this. I just wish that we would get back to a time where there were PR, there was publicists, people who were paid to monitor and um, keep track of what kinds of things are communicated, okay? I think the messaging has just gotten out of hand. People just get on the internet and say what they want to say all willy-nilly, whether or not they are qualified, credible, anything. They just be out here talking, and it's just not good, right? And Little Mama's talking out of turn yet again, talking about some old crazy heterosexual rights. Listen, girl, you don't even know. You don't even know how you sound. Do us a favor. I heard, I saw it on Twitter that Jack A. Harry tried to tuck her back in. Listen, she done got on my nerves. I think that's it. I'll wrap up with this good note or this note. I guess I don't know if it's good, but maybe some of you who who care. Krispy Kreme has uh <laughs> has has said that anyone who has a COVID vaccine card, if you've been vaccinated. Krispy Kreme wants to celebrate you by giving you one free glazed donut. Okay, so pay attention to when the hot light is on. And if you have gotten your vaccine, go ahead and get your blessing. Okay? Okay. I think that's it for the trash. I'm going to wrap it up. We don't really have a shout out. I'm going to get right into our kitchen table again. Special guest, Lovey Ajayi Jones, is coming back to discuss her newly released book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual. Me and Love, you're going to kick it. And then I'll come back with a quick honesty box before we wrap it up. All right, y'all. It's time to get to the money bag. The older I get, the more committed I become to being financial, financially informed, financial savvy, being more judicious about my money and how I take care of it. So tune into this, girl. It's going to help you. Hot take. Your bank account should work with you, not against you. Chime is an award-winning app and debit card with no hidden fees or monthly minimums. After all, you earned your money and you deserve to keep it. Some of the Chime features include fee-free overdraft on up to $100 in debit purchases with SpotMe. It's like overdraft protection, but better. You can also get your paycheck, benefits, stimulus check, and tax return up to two days earlier than with traditional direct deposit. No hidden fees or monthly minimums, plus 38,000 fee-free ATMs with MoneyPass and Visa Plus Alliance. Security, you can turn on alerts to let you know when your card is being used and instantly block your card if if something seems fishy or not right. You can also save on autopilot. When you sign up for a Chime spending account, you can enroll in an optional savings account and grow your savings automatically with 0.50% annual percentage yield, 10 times the national average. Join the millions of individuals who are now banking with Chime. Sign up takes two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. Apply now at Chime.com slash GG. That's Chime, C-H-I-M-E dot com forward slash G-G. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited because we have a regular a regular guest and featured guest at the kitchen table our good sis lovey is back to join us she's going to share with us about uh her brand new book professional troublemaker the fear fighter everybody say hey lovey welcome back lovey what's going on lovey what up kia what's going on Oh man, so good to see you. Everything good. What's got what's going on? I know we all trying to figure out the Panera bread. We out here. Yeah. <laughs> we in the Panasonic trying to do it the best, do the best we can. 
Yo, for real. Like I'm, I was over here chasing vaccines. That's what I was doing. Like, uh, shoot it in my veins. I'm ready. Get it to me. Put, get it to give me. it to me. I literally was get like, who I me. got to call? Because you know what I'm not going to do is spend another really? summer in this house. Listen, I said, let's roll up our sleeves. Which vein do you, which is there? What do you which, want? You just let me know. What do you yeah, want? I, I've changed my name to, on Twitter to Moderna the Stallion because that's just, <laughs> you know what? That's just how I'm, that's, that's just, just, that's just how excited I am about being able to step outside my, my porch. Sit on my Listen, porch. Listen, I literally <laughs> said, I said, who is the vaccine plug? Please. Point me to them why is there like an underground situation for this whole <laughs> a black vaccine? you got to know somebody you got to be like okay go down the street yeah at the corner literally somebody texted me was like yo call this dude he's expecting you <laughs> i was like what is this about the vaccine or are we doing yes. drugs what are we doing right now he they literally was like here's a number to call i love it ask for this name he's expecting you and i'm like okay because it's that is serious it's a hustle. It is a total hustle. Um, but we got to do what we got to do. It's good to see your face. Yes. Um, I'm proud of you. We're back to discuss your second New York Times best-selling Amen. book. Amen, Amen. Won't he do it? Won't he um, do it? Tell me a little bit about, before we even get to the meat of the matter with the book, what was it, how has it been launching a book during a global pandemic? Like, like no, like, tell me what, what that experience has been. That has had to color, has to color the way that you've been able to do this work. First of all, I had to write the book in the freaking pandemic. Like the world oh shut God. down last March, 2020. And my manuscript was due May, 2020. And I was like, wow. so, you know, all the memes, everybody was like, relax, you know what I mean? Just sit on the couch and <laughs> you don't have to be productive. I was like, um, I do because I got a contract. Yes. On. I was like, Personally. I have to be productive. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I am going to have to do some work, but right. I think, I think it actually kind of drove me forward a little bit because. I realized like it's the book that I wanted last year, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, when the whole world shut down because we got this virus we ain't seen before. Right. And um, so I felt convicted to write it. I, I wrote the Fear Fighter Man, professional troublemaker in this pandemic. And yo, launching the book, the one good thing about launching a book in the pandemic is ain't nobody out in these streets as much as they right. would be if right. it wasn't pandemic time. Right. So it's easier to get people's focus. Mm -hmm. And people are reading now more than ever. They said yeah. like book readership has gone up. People are buying more books than ever. Bookstores are doing really well, oddly right, enough. Right, right. So I'm like, well, shoot. <laughs> Let me take I, advantage. Let me take advantage. But the one thing I have loved though, as an introvert is that I have not had to go anywhere for my book tour. It's been a, a seven city virtual book tour. That is a blessing that I'm like, even when the world opens back up, I'm gonna be like, so can my tour be virtual for my next life? <laughs> Yo, like, yeah. What do we do to keep this virtual energy going? Okay. Correct. Let's just make that happen. Correct. Correct. I, I love that. Even at my job, like I'm just telling them, like, there's really no excuse. Like y'all have been saying for a long time that we have to be on site to work. And I think this 2020 has proven that to be a lie. So so okay just <laughs> the lie detector said that Listen, is a lie and i think pandemic has really home. it's really let us know that like there's a lot of unnecessary things that we do like mm -hmm. unnecessary just Absolutely. for no reason because i'm like everybody can work most people who are not blue collar working with their hands can work mm -hmm. at home 
Most so of don't us. be bothering us. Exactly. Come somewhere for something. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? When it's just, and it's safer. It's so much safer for us to be where we are as opposed to all of us, you know, being out in the world uh, at one time. But yes, professional troublemaker. Tell me why fear? What made Levy write a book about fear, but also, because I think more than fear, your, bo- your book is about courage. So what what made you uh, take this on, especially after I'm judging you? Like, I feel like I'm judging you was, was your way of getting this all together. Right. And now, <laughs> now, professional troublemaker is like, you know, now that I've gotten you together, <laughs> this is how you, you know, you improve. So I don't have to judge you no more. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, ba- that's accurate. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to write this book because honestly, this type of a book is not typically written by black folk because publishing right. gives us contracts mostly to talk about the burden of race or mm-hmm. to write novels. So we're typically not given a chance to write a book that is about what our lives could look like if we dared to be courageous. If we, even though like everything's a dumpster fire, even though there's all these systems who are working against us, even though there's so many reasons for us to cower and folks are constantly throwing arrows at us, especially black folks, black and brown people, anybody on the margins, we, I still want us to be able to think that our lives can be big. So I wanted to write this book because my experience in my career is a, it is a testament of me constantly doing things that felt too big. You know, mm-hmm. things that I might be like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I feel like I'm going to go for it anyway. And honestly, my TED Talk is what really kind of made me realize I got to talk about this thing. Um, three, yeah, my TED Talk is three years old now. Three years ago, mm-hmm. that TED Talk where I talked about how we let fear stop us from doing what we are purposed to do, right. what we're purposed to say. And how that talk has gotten me thousands of of messages over the years of people being like, yo, like, this is what listening to that did for me. This is how I move different. So I was like, let's talk about fear in in, in a real concrete way. And and I wanted to dedicate this book to it because we're all afraid of different things. Let's, there's nobody walking around who is fearless. That is actually a psychological disorder. And I think to be fearless is to say you're not going to do less because of your fear. So I was like, let me write a book about this because this is a book that I needed. You know what I mean? Like this is the book that I needed 10 years ago when I was afraid to call myself a writer. It's the book that I need sometimes and I want to drop a big old number and say, this is how much I'm worth Mm -hmm. for this project. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I know other people need this type of permission. So I wanted to write a book that would loan people courage. Right. I love that. I love, and I love that you acknowledge that fear is a thing, right? It's in, it's and real. you set a healthy expectation from the beginning that this book is not about telling you not to be afraid. Um, and I think that's something that, like, to your point around, like, books that Black folks write um, or Black, po- black, you know, publishing houses have expected or wanted Black people to write. There has not been a lot of spaces where we have been allowed to really be transparent and really honor our humanity out loud in that way. And I love, like, one of the fav- one of my favorite <clears throat> quotes from the book, well, when you talk about you, you encourage us to stop pursuing and expecting fearlessness. Um, and you make it clear that this book is about how we not let fear be our deciding factor. And that's, I love, I love that just in terms of how we think about, um, like 
what are some of the questions? And I left throughout the book, you give qu- the questions that you ask yourself or the, the, the aff- affirmations that you say to yourself when you have to make these tough choices. Yeah. Um, and I just really, I think that that's, I love the practical, your practical voice. Um, you know, for those of us who've been following you for a while, like, I love that this book reads like a shady text thread between you and one of your good, good girlfriends. Yes! <laughs> It's like loving. It's love. It's like equal parts. Lovey be giving you good advice and then be like getting you together. Like, ma'am, we're not doing that. You got. We're not doing that. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Like you know, your good, good girlfriends. I could be like, now nah, you need to cut this garbage. This is foolishness. Okay. <laughs> like, and I felt like just as I'm turning the page, I'm like, listen, I love you. Get me together. Just get, just get it. You be like, you're just dragging us. I said, listen, that's because I was dragging myself. I was writing this book, dragging myself like, oh, bitch, really? <laughs> I was. So I was, as people are like, girl, you dragged us. I said, no, no, listen, the person I dragged was me first. Listen, listen. I was like, oh, so lovey. Because I, I said uh, the chapter that really was the kick in the chest for me was the own your dopeness one. Right. Oh yeah. It was really like, dang. <laughs> I had to like really like, okay, so Lovey is gonna be waist deep in my business right here. Like right through here is where we're going. So I think we we think so I was like too often we think about humility and arrogance in these really dualistic ways. And I think yeah. this chapter helps us to see that it really is about achieving a healthy balance. It's not about being all humble and all arrogant, but right. How do we kind of live in that middle ground? And why is it so challenging for us? Do you think, why is it so challenging for us to find that healthy space of owning your dopeness and put placing value on it yeah i think so i think one one the world has tricked us into, into thinking that we got to be humble and by humble self-deprecating yeah like we have somehow been convinced that to be considered humble you got to diminish something about yourself mm-hmm. and i'm like ah no nah, i'm not gonna be that hum- i'm not gonna be that version of humble right you know what i mean like i can say that i am an amazing writer i'm an amazing speaker i'm an amazing thought leader, but I'm not going to say that it's all because of my own doing. Mm -hmm. My humility comes in the fact that who I am, what I'm able to do is a testament of the people who supported me. You know, the people who came before me, the black writers who did this work before I was even born, my God who gave me this gift that I was able to hone, my mom who sacrificed so much that allowed me to have the college education that I had. Mm -hmm. So I am who I am, but it's because of the village that's around me. And I think that's where we can be humble. Don't be humble by, you know, being feeling like you got to be less than or feeling Mm -hmm. that you got to make somebody feel better by being self-deprecating or diminishing yourself. Be humble by just giving credit to those around you. Right. And the whole arrogant, like women, especially people are quick to attach arrogance to us when we own our dopeness. For sure. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. If the worst thing you can say about me is, uh, is I'm arrogant, well, I'm I'm doing all right. Right. That's that's not. That doesn't really face me. It doesn't bother me as much. It doesn't bother There's me. A, it doesn't. A lot of worse things that you could say about me. Correct. Um, I love you know, as someone who had a praying grandmother, just mm-hmm. <laughs> just like you. Yes, I, I absolutely love 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 that the book was inspired by your grandmother's life and legacy. And what has it what has it meant to you to share that? with the world you know it's been the best tribute I could have probably thought Mm. about for my grandmother this year is 10 years of her passing Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize how perfect this timing was until wow. after we had like the book had gone to print. And I was like, oh, wow, next year is 10 years. So my grandmother, like, you know, like every black grandmother that we all know, just took up all the space. You couldn't tell her yeah, nothing. You couldn't real. tell her she wasn't enough and you wouldn't even dare. Right. And she walked into every room and made a home out of it. Mm-hmm. She found no strangers. Everybody was her kid. She would feed everybody around the neighborhood. If somebody knocked on her door and came, she will walk in there, feed them while they, she will make you eat. Then mm-hmm. she'll give you Tupperware and give you some food, some, some, some change as you're yes. walking out. Yeah. And she was just this woman who took no shit, but was so full of love yes. and was deeply loved because of it. And I think her life gave me permission that I could be bold, that I could speak mm-hmm. my mind. And I could still be this woman who is still super kind and generous. For real. So being able to put her at the center of this book was perfect for, because she was a troublemaker. You know, yeah. you can't tell. <laughs> but I just love the energy of old Black women. Me too. Uh, my grandmother's birthday was last Thursday. She turned 89. And as we were celebrating and I was reading a book, it was just such a joy. And I'm like, you know, thinking about my grandmother who possesses a lot of the qualities that you describe about your grandmother, I was just like, you know, I just, what does it mean to be like, you know, how could you, how could you live life that long or have that kind of experience and not own who you are in such a way? And what I, you're giving, you're giving younger women the tools to kind of, to reach that place a lot sooner. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't gotta wait till we 65 to have that energy. Like, All black women, it's so funny. Like, even if you try to disrespect them, you feel like you've done the most. Like, right. it's like your spirit will check you first. Like, sis, ma'am, who are Absolutely. you talking to? I know it's not right. her. Right. And they just have this majest- like this majesty about it's them. Okay. It's, it's so good. good. And it's like knowing who you are. I love what you said. Like, you know, she was never uncomfortable everywhere she went. She made a home. It's like you're so comfortable in yourself that no other person yes. can make you uncomfortable. Yes. And I love that. And I love that in, in the book, identity is such a, a big part of, you know, us building this muscle of courage. And like we were saying before we started recording, I've been friends with Lovey, been following Lovey for a while, like since the OG blogger days, right? And so I'm no stranger to the elaborate, alliterative Game of Thrones <laughs> titles that you've been giving your name. You've, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a fan. That's why I loved it when it was in the book. I'm like, Lovey not new to this, so she should set the standard, right? <laughs> she should set the standard of how we do this. It was just like, this is exactly, you gave us the formula. You literally told us. And I love hearing about the Arikis, and I love that, you know, there was a cultural significance behind your practice of giving yourself these titles, giving other people these titles. And I'm still working on mine. Cause like I said, chapter four was a real, real like, <laughs> okay, Takia, you got to stop living in the shadows, girl. Come like, on, come on. Um, <laughs> and go step on out and own what it is. I mean, makes me think we had the opportunity to have, you know, professional black girl, Dr. Yaba Blay. Yes, she was on mood. the show. Yes, Yaba was on the show last week and she also got me together and was like, you know, about the importance of us identifying ourselves. We have to name ourselves because if we don't, other people will. Yeah. And so I'm still working on mine, but but another game that I've been playing as I've been like practicing how to how to write my Oriki is like thinking about who else deserves a, a really good one. And since you are the originator, 
I thought maybe you and I could partner on thinking about one for a particular patron saint who very recently just showed up for black women in a very powerful way. What if we were to make an Ariki right now for Cheryl Underwood? <laughs> oh, Cheryl Underwood. Cheryl Underwood, first of her name. Because first the, of her <laughs> name. The grace with which she sat there and endured. Have her of patience. Okay. <laughs> Saint, because sanctified sister, because somebody would have gotten their edges fucked on Holy live Ghost. television. Her, even my mother, my mother was like, listen, she said, we don't know, listen, I don't know Cheryl personally, but she has to have the Holy Ghost to sit there with the, with the grace and composure that she did. I was like, are we going to Sharon would have been snapped. Listen, the way, I the fact that Cheryl ain't even year cost, old down. I listen, I would have actually like dropped out a little bit. I would have been like, bitch, is you talking to me, yo? Like listen. on national television, they would have had to fire me. It would have just been terrible. I would have Cheryl been a deserves because I would, have been a Cheryl, I would have been like, bitch, who the fuck you talking to? They would have been like, damn, I never heard Lovey. Ted Talk Lovey would have been like, bitch, let me tell you what you got fucked up about me in this moment. Cheryl, oh, God bless her. Who somebody gotta send that woman flowers because she to send her flowers. I mean, and we also need to give shout out to uh, Elaine Welteroth, who also, you know, held it down, P.O.P. Um, in that in that moment. Shout but out it Elaine. Was, it was very, very like have her of patience. <laughs> it's have her of extreme patience. Like extraordinary patience. Just grace giver. Okay. Yes. The I mean, great grace giver. Just and she because, was just an awesome listener and an amazing communicator to be able to like even uh, articulate a response to Sharon in that moment. Jesus ain't me. done working with me yet because I <laughs> literally still working on like, me too. I, honestly, the bitch would have dropped from my mouth very quickly. Without without thought, it would have been. I would have like, just been oh. like, "Bitch, who?" <laughs> that would have been like, "I've never heard Lovey talk like this." Oh my god, I am stunned. I can't. Even and I would have just oh I can't I can't mm -mm. but yes we have to give a shout out to Cheryl Underwood shout out and she did she right there but she, you know what she, though I also want to give shout outs to all the black women who we don't know or hear or see who got to oh, deal with sure. white women tears every day God Listen, like I see you triggered. sis I see you okay <laughs> yes all of us who found resonance in in Cheryl's experience because we have been there. For sure. Oh my God. But shout out to Cheryl Underwood. Just shout out. I mean, we just need like a Cheryl Underwood day. She needs to <laughs> Cheryl Underwood Appreciation Day. <laughs> <laughs> so good. We just got to. So in the book, you share a lot of dope stories about things that have scared you in the past and how, you know, that fear has, has compelled you and pushed you forward. You talk about your TED Talk. Uh, like you said before, calling yourself a rider and then going skydiving. That was a fun story. Um, <laughs> you know who I, you know who, who made me go skydiving? Antonio. <laughs> That's so good. He literally was like, let's go skydiving. And my goofy self said, yeah. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that. That makes so much sense. Shout right? That makes Antonio. sense. <laughs> Shout out to Antonio and knowing who to ask. He, I'm glad he asked you and not me. <laughs> Because yeah, I don't know if I would have had it in me to do. I barely had it in me then. I don't know what made me say yeah. 
I got, I found myself sweating just reading about the story. But I wanted <laughs> to know what are, are, what are some of the things, if you're open to sharing, are there things that scare you now? Are, is there something that is scary to you? Like, what are, or even recently, have, has there been a fear that you have had to talk yourself through overcoming? You know what fear I have that will probably shock people is I'm afraid of driving. You don't drive? No. Really? No, I don't I have a license. I what? Mm-hmm. I've, I've never, never gotten my license. That. I'm afraid <laughs> of other people's shenanigans. My anxiety I saw you too riding high. your bike. I saw you riding your bike on Instagram. So you were taking baby steps towards <laughs> baby steps, G- baby steps. My husband was like, let's go bike riding. So he literally taught me how to ride a bike. Cause I've never, me and wheels just apparently we just don't rap. <laughs> we just don't curl all the way over. Oh, and yeah. so yeah, driving is a fear that I said I was going to conquer this year. I'm so happy for you. That's going to be dope. I'm from New York. So I understand that, you know, sometimes driving don't really hit people till later in life. I was maybe 20. I was in my twenties before I learned how to drive, which is crazy to people who learned, started driving at like 15. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people who are like, what? I was driving at 14 illegally. I'm like, I can't relate. Can't relate. Just. I can't relate either. Yeah. I was a grown adult by the time I had even thought about learning how to drive. So I totally get that. So yeah, okay, driving. You have to keep us posted. I want to know. Are you going to like take driver's ed? Are you just going to like let your husband teach you? I'm or... going to have some. No, I, he can't teach me because he, because <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. I refuse to have him be the one teach me. Nope. I'd be I like, why it. are you yelling at me? Uh-uh. <laughs> Girl, I actually think I'm going to go to driving school. I'm going to be like, let, let a stranger. I don't want nobody in my family to teach me how to drive because I'm going to be mad when they yell at me about something. I took driving classes, and especially like my friends had helped me learn how to drive, but I was parking was a big fear for me because, you know, it was like all the dance, the coordination required to park was like was what held me back. So I actually <laughs> took, I took, I took uh, like three or four driver's ed classes as an adult yes. it was, was the oldest thing in there I mean it was literally children and I was like with my notebook like what what did you say like taking copious notes like uh-uh because I know y'all in here driving on your parents insurance this is gonna be my dime if I tear something up so let's okay let's listen that's, that's look that's gonna be me like what y'all say okay but no you're gonna laugh you're gonna laugh at the fact that over the years I keep on saying this is gonna be the year that I'm gonna get my license I've gotten my permit at least four times where it's expired because <laughs> so my, my, per- the last time I got a permit was like in 2019. So I have to go back now uh, and Yay. go to DMV and go take the, the written test so I can get the permit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I said, I was going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to get my life. I'm going to get my life. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. Cause one, nobody going nowhere in 2020. So right. 2020 might've probably been the year I should have learned how to drive. Yeah, Cause nobody cause was on the road. Nobody was on the road. <laughs> Somebody's on the roads, but listen, find you some parking lots, get you some, I mean, you know, and a lot of what, one thing for me, I, I was afraid of highway driving because it was like, oh my God, the highway, but highways are the easiest lovey because it's straight shot. Like it's literally like, you don't have to, it's not a lot of turning and whipping and it's literally you get in one lane and you, you stay there (laughs) until you have to move. But like, I think highway driving, and that surprised me, but I feel like I got my confidence driving on highways. It's just, you got to find the right ones. You don't want to be like, 
Well, you don't want to do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise you get on, you know, get into the heat of the rush hour traffic when people be whipping and, you know, you don't want to do that. You just find you a nice, pleasant <laughs> interstate, you know, that's just a straight shot. You just drive out a little bit. You don't, you know, you might not need to stay downtown or anything crazy, but just drive out to the suburbs or something and just practice. It really, like, it really is about just comfortability, just feeling, and confidence is important because driving scared is really not a good thing. Uh, you got to be in control. I am in control of this vehicle. <laughs> Listen, that's, look, that, you want to talk about fear fighting? I'm be like, who Lord, Father God? Somebody else's car too close. I don't, well, mm-mm. so I got to work on that. That's my, <laughs> hey, I will be rooting for you. This is going to be good. What's been dope is that I, I feel like you have, uh, I don't know. I think this is a really common overused word. So I'm going to, I'm going to struggling saying it, but I can't think of another one, but I feel like you've manifested a lot of the things that have happened for you. I think a lot of it has been you trusting yourself enough to sort of own certain things about yourself and then they happen, right? So you talk about you creating your Ariki for Oprah and then Oprah adding you to her list. Um, <laughs> and, or like, you know, like you, you have the, all the fear and trepidation around your TED talk um, and you just sort of letting that go. So I think that I love that the, you give those real practical examples um, of how we talk ourselves out of things. And, and I, I just, just really loved your imposter syndrome conversation, right? So I love that you just called it what it is. Cause we've, we hear about imposter syndrome all of our lives, right? And it's a label. People just kind of say, oh, I'm suffering from this. I'm suffering from that. But like you, oh, I love that you called it a boundless lie because that is exactly what it is. So tell me a little bit, you know, I mean, and I felt like you could wrote a whole book about imposter syndrome. How do you integrate the imposter syndrome discussion into a book about courage? Yes. So the whole manifesting thing, you know, you are right that that's a word they have, they have using that manifestation. I mean, yeah, and throwing journals, it, throwing it around. <laughs> Honestly, what you have seen over the years is me boldly dreaming and then putting in work. Yeah. So that's what I think is incomplete about the manifestation conversation that happens now is that like, you don't just write it in a diary and then all of a sudden magical fairy makes it happen. Mm-hmm. You put in the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where imposter syndrome is even relevant in that in the moments when we want to feel like, oh my God, I don't know how I made it into this room or why they asked me uh, for this, uh, to get this promotion. I'm always like the, the thing that can void imposter syndrome is some of your hard work. Mm-hmm. Even if you're like, I don't know how I made it there. I'm not sure why they call me. If you know you put in work, you'll be like, well, she's fine because of my work. All right. Yeah. You know? So yeah. if you don't think you've put in the work at all, then you can be like, yeah, I don't know why I'm here. Why, why, would, why would they call me? But if you're there in a room and you're just like, oh my gosh, all these people who I've admired, how did that, they pick me? Have you done the work? Have you put yeah. in work? Whatever that work could look like, whether you're a photographer or the VP of a department or a copywriter, whatever that work is, you know when you've done the work. But I right. think it's because we would do this thing that Brene Brown calls foreboding joy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you find yourself, if, if it feels too good to be true because you're just expecting some, you're expecting a catch. You're the like, where's drop. the other mm-hmm. shoe going to drop? But don't wait for the other shoe to drop. You know, 
enjoy the fact that you're there and then bring value in the room. Find okay. one person to have a good conversation. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room. You don't have to come in the room like, oh, I'm here, I belong. Yeah, just be cool. Talk to one person and you've brought value. So I think imposter syndrome is definitely a liar and a cheat. A liar, a liar. Boy. It's a liar and a cheat. And here's the part that kills me too. It be the smartest people <laughs> who have imposter syndrome. It's true. Yaba talked about this a little bit too when she was on there's so much in our society that attaches worth to accomplishment. Yes. Um, and like these senses of productivity and a lot of our jobs, corporate, academic, otherwise, we are measured by this, like, you know, not even we're measured or we measure ourselves. It's always about proving. Like we feel like we have to prove ourselves to be worthy or credible or qualified to be in certain rooms. And I just love that we we as a generation are calling that a lie, like calling that what it is, and then doing the work of unlearning it. Because it is so important. It's so important for, because I mean, when you really get to it, like I find, I do this myself. It's like when I get to it, I compare myself to people that are not even doing the same work that I'm doing. Like, you know, I'm like, you know, like, the the metrics the the benchmarks that I've set for myself are are something that I feel like some white person handed me and you know mm-hmm. I'm at a place in my life in my career where it's time for me to start defining those things for myself. Um, so when you talk about like doing the work, I love what you said around like you know dreaming boldly out loud, but also doing the work and being confident in the work that you've done. Have there been bench? Have there been benchmarks and goals that you set for yourself that will help you to say, like, I know that I've done that or I know that I've reached that or you just or you just or is it more kind of like a constant commitment? Like, I, I'm just going to have this work ethic about myself and stand by yeah. it. Or both. So for me, I don't set too many like checklist goals. That's mm-hmm. like I try not to do it often. Because then you end up on this like constant wheel of now I need to achieve something else. So like a lot of times people are like, oh my God, so what now after this book? I was like, this book, let me rest in this book first. Yeah. (laughs) Can we please? Can we please? I was like, gosh, but I think I had set for myself that I wanted this second book to be a New York Times bestseller too, because I'm like, this book hitting the times list will now tell publishers to give black women deals beyond what they're used to big Mm -hmm. deals because Mm -hmm. my book was able to be on it but on that path to trying to achieve this second new york times bestseller because my book is in the hardest category in the how to miscellaneous advice Mm -hmm. it is so tough to hit the list from this category i still had to tell myself yes you will try to hit the list that's the goal if you did not make the goal, it does not mean you failed. Right. And I think that's important as we're setting these metrics that we want, these goals that we've we've identified, what we want, we put them on paper. Do not now think you have failed if you are short of that goal. Do not think your work is not worth it if you don't make that goal. So for me, if I did not hit the times list, this book for me is still a success because people have already hit me up and said, this book has transformed my life. My mm-hmm. editor got promoted because of this book. I love it. Because she read the book, 
read the chapter that said, ask for more. And she asked for a raise. Not only did she get the raise, she got the promotion. So mm-hmm. I was telling myself, I said, listen, we're going we gonna to try for this times list. But even if you don't get on the list, this book is no less good, no less valuable, no less transformative, and your work is no less necessary. Absolutely. Thinking of impact beyond sort of like those quantifiable Mm-hmm. Uh, you know things I think that's so important <clears throat> especially to our own self yes self-advancement self-development and um yeah I just I, I love that we're sort of reclaiming this space reclaiming um Maxine reclaiming our <laughs> our time our lives our time. Our, you know we think we're, we are saying that we're not just going to fall in line and think about these things in conventional ways status quo ways right if especially when they do not serve those ways don't serve us um i'm gonna wrap up but i have to you know we talk about being church kids all the time right and how we how that is you know literally a a central part of who we are how we live our lives one of my favorite parts of the book lovey came right at the end when you got to talk about the toxic positivity because You know, I think this is really important, especially in some faith communities, because we have allowed like doctrine and, and other things to really project uh, some unhealthy narratives in, in, the, in the world that have really yes. held us back. So I, I, I want you to talk a little bit about this, the concept of toxic positivity as it relates to fear and anxiety and, and worry. Right. Um, cause it really is like a full circle. Cause in the book you talk about how we're, it's important for us to accept and, and accept that fear is a part of life. And I just love how you talk about, God, I feel like God can handle our fears. He can handle them. Yes. He never, he never expected us not to have them. And I think yes. that in the Bible, when, when Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, I feel like that means that he knew that we're going to be anxious. Like, don't be not, anxious. It's, it's not about shame. It's about accountability. When we feel anxiety, that then we are to remember that Paul told us to be anxious for nothing. So, but people get that twisted in that, you know, being a Christian means I'm not supposed to be stressed out. And that is mm-hmm. not true. Yeah. And then we will weaponize. So it was important for me to talk about because when when COVID started, you saw all these pastors being like, we're gonna have church because Jesus is gonna protect us. <laughs> Oh, man. And then all these pastors started dying of COVID. Yes. And I'm just like, we cannot weaponize God like some magical genie mm-hmm. who is just here to clean up our mess whenever we act a fool. Because right. you don't know if this pandemic, clearly the pandemic was God's plan because he wanted us to sit down somewhere. Clearly. clearly, clearly, and see who's going to listen. And a whole lot of people did not listen mm-hmm. and put other people in jeopardy because of mm-hmm. it. And we cannot use our Christianity or whatever faith that we practice right. as this weapon that we use to make people feel bad for feeling bad. Mm-hmm. How you gonna have fear when you're supposed to have faith? Uh, they can coexist. Like they can they absolutely should. coexist and they should because some fear yeah. actually exists for a reason. Absolutely. Some fear is valid. You can't just be like, we're gonna be all right. Jesus going, Jesus said, listen, I. I told you to go sit down somewhere. (laughs) But I just think for us as like people who are in the word, who read the word and and use the Bible as a a weapon, it is not doing anybody a favor. When a friend comes to you and says, 
I'm having a bad day. Girl, just pray about it. Can you ask questions why I'm having a bad day? Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about right. therapy and Christians go, uh-uh, right. I got Jesus. And you're like, you can have Jesus in therapy. Ain't the same God who created you the mm-hmm. same one who would be creating the tools that can help you cope with all the things that will come because he also gave us free will. All right. Absolutely. Don't limit him. Like he uses the therapist just as much as he uses the preacher. That part. <laughs> Don't limit him. Don't limit him. And I think we box God in and think, like you said, he's supposed to be this genie that waves the magic wand and our problems are fixed. But just like you talk about doing the work, we have to do the work of, you know, building courage, building faith, fighting fear. It requires daily practice, daily work. And Everything. I just love that you... It, yeah, I just love that you, I was like, love you, nailed it. Because a lot of books about fear, being fearless or, you know, working through fear, really juxtapose fear and faith in ways that are not healthy. Because- not healthy, not productive, and now create cycles of shame. That's the other part. Right. Is that I right. wanted to write this book to let everybody know that there is no shame in you ever being afraid. That's. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't make somebody make you think you're weak or somehow betraying God or or whatever it is because you are saying, I am afraid. The most universal feeling besides love and joy, right? And once we start being like, yo, we are all afraid in different ways, small and big, let's call it out. And then just know that we got to move forward because ultimately you can't have courage without fear because if, if, it was easy. It was not courage. Right. Absolutely. So the fear is needed first. And we got that part, but we, we just attach so many negative feelings to it. And then people end up feeling like somehow they're less than because they dare to right. be afraid. This natural thing. I love it. Fear is, is leverage. It's meant to propel us forward. And I think that that is abundantly clear that if we lean into fear, as you've as you've outlined in this book that it'll take us to 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 purpose and it will bring us to where we are supposed to be make fear your friend when you feel it in those moments just be like i hear you i see you but i'm still gonna do this thing anyway you coming with me (laughs) you coming with me and we're gonna do it anyway (laughs) we're gonna do it anyway we're gonna do it scared yes i love it lovey always a joy i just love kicking it with you at all times, but I'm, I'm just really thrilled and excited. Proud of you. Professional Troublemaker, the Fear Fighter Manual is available wherever books are. And I want yes. everybody who's listening to Getting Grown to really get you a copy, get into it. I also bought it on Audible because, um, you know, I'll be listening in the car and stuff when I be, you know, driving and carrying on. So, I just want to also uh, admonish you, like, it's it's a special treat to hear Lovey's words and Lovey's voice. <laughs> so if, if you're into audiobooks, <laughs> it's like icing. You're really going to get into you. You will find yourself laughing. We love you like she is riding in the, sh- in the passenger seat with you. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I love it. Somebody said they were reading the book while listening to the audiobook. And I was like, oh, that's, a, that's a cheat code. I like that. I'm, I'm a fan. Whammy. Double That's whammy. double win. Let's go. I live. But thank you, Lovey. It's always a pleasure. I'm proud of you. Appreciate you. you. And can't wait to see what's next. 
not saying that she don't you. deserve. You do deserve a nap, though. I don't want, I don't <laughs> want to perpetuate this constant you know, productivity thing. But listen, you deserve to take rest. And I hope that you are enjoying the fruits of your labor. Um, but I'm excited to see how God's going to continue to use you, sis. Amen. I'm going to go get this vaccine so I can lay on a beach somewhere, still away from humans, because I still think we're all yeah. trash. But yeah. still, yeah. just will yeah. not be I, by I, human I, beings. I, I, yeah, I'm not going far. Like I'm not going to get the vaccine and just venture right back out. No, I'm just going to get the vaccine so I can sit comfortably in my backyard. <laughs> correct, yeah. correct, correct. No, so I can have yeah. brunch in my house with yeah. three close friends. Okay, yeah. just yeah. that. I'm yeah. not going to nobody concerts and bars. You will not see me no. in nobody festival. No. I will not be there for anything Same. crowded. But I will. I will be like I am with the homies inside. Yeah. Same, very much same. When Governor Hogan announced that Maryland was opening back up, I was like, Takiya's going to be closed, but y'all continue to enjoy yourselves. <laughs> I'm going to still be closed. Okay. Correct. Because <laughs> I feel Correct. safer that way. As for me and my household, my yes. vaccinated household, we going to stay <laughs> indoors <laughs> and keep it moving. Yeah. All right, boo. So happy to kick it with you again. Uh, I hope. Thank you for having so me. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Y'all. Yeah, all of all of Lovey's contact information will be in the description box along with links to get the book. And we hope that you do that. Yes, indeed. Y'all come through. Love you. you. With you. Masterclass, you. you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You work on your own self-expression and authenticity with RuPaul. Improve your creative skills with Issa Rae or work on becoming a more effective communicator with Robin Roberts. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Whatever you're interested in, there's a masterclass for you. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long. You can explore at your own pace, and each class is supported by downloadable materials, lessons, recipes, and more. These hundreds of video lessons are available anytime, anywhere on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. So I was really most excited about Robin Roberts' effective communication class because she not only talks about being a TV journalist, but she just talks about how to effectively and authentically communicate um, you know, just as an individual, as an adult, as a grown-up. And a lot of her advice really crosses professional and disciplinary boundaries. I am also was most, most excited and benefited the most from Issa Rae's masterclass because she teaches about creating outside the lines. Um, what I took away most from that is how, you know, you can create and not really be defined by conventional boundaries. And she also gives us a lot of great tips about how to collaborate and build something laterally, like collaborating and networking across, not necessarily having to have a mentor or someone to network up to. It's really about narrowing down your idea, knowing your audience, and really producing awesome, dope content of any form, whether you're writing a TV series like Issa or, you know, thinking of content for your social media, your website, anything. Um, I really got a lot from Issa's class, so I highly recommend you check it out. Um, get unlimited access to every masterclass, and as a Get and Grown listener, you can get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash grown. That's masterclass.com slash grown for 15% off your masterclass. Class, class. I know that we're knee deep in this week's episode of Getting Grown, and we're going to get back to the business in just a minute. But before we do, I wanted to recommend a podcast that I'm sure you're going to love. Built to Last is a podcast by American Express that highlights the stories, 
history and continued legacy of Black-owned small businesses that shape American culture. The debut season focuses on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, host Elaine Welteroth explores the story of a Black business trailblazer of the past that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. The podcast features small business owners like Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant slutty vegan, Anifa Mwimba, a cutting-edge designer, and so many other amazing small business owners. Plus, there's a special check-in with modern-day renaissance woman, our girl, Issa Rae. As Built to Last uncovers and celebrates past and present stories of Black entrepreneurship in America, we hope to encourage all of our listeners to support these businesses and also the Black-owned businesses in your community. Check out the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. podcast. Honestly? Truly. Okay. Back again with an honesty box. Um, <clears throat> we received this email from a listener. I'm going to give her a pseudonym. Let's call sis Starkeisha. I feel like I've used that before, but this is just what came to mind. So let's go. Starkeisha writes, hello, ladies. I've been listening from the very beginning. And after last week's episode, I just want to say that I'm, wow, 10,000% proud of you, ladies. I just moved to Dallas and found my little tribe. And I hope that I'm just as close as you guys are. Thank you, Starkeisha. Anyways, my best friend of 14 years, sister, recently passed. Not only was I close with her, I was even close with her family, and her sister played a huge part of my life, and I'm extremely heartbroken about, uh, about her, her death as well. My question is, how do I support them while I'm grieving? There are times where I have to either have, either have to censor myself or not talk to them at all when I'm in that quote-unquote mood, because I don't want to make them... Um, more emotional, or if they're trying to move past it, I don't want to keep bringing it up. I honestly don't want to ask her even about how she's doing emotionally because I know how sensitive she is right now. I know that sounds crazy, but I live in another state, so I wasn't there when she uh, originally passed, so I didn't have the time to say goodbye to her, which is no one's fault, but it just sucks. Can you ladies please give me advice on this? Starkeisha, first of all, I want to say to you, um, I'm really, I'm really sorry for, you know, grief is one of those things um, that we all have to kind of process on our own and in our own way. So just, you know, I want to send my condolences to you as a friend and to your best friend's family as they are mourning, as, as all of you are collectively mourning the loss of um, your best friend's sister. It's just one of those things. I mean, I think it's it's it is admirable. I mean, and I think it it, it shows good self awareness that you are even cognizant of not wanting to trigger anyone else. Um, unfortunately, grief is just one of those things that you know you just can never really tell what's going to trigger somebody's grief because it's very personal in that way. But I believe that in my experience of grief. I've always appreciated honesty, right? You can tell when someone's uh, handling you in a way where they are like afraid to offend you or walking on eggshells around you. And that to me was more annoying 
because it just made everything uncomfortable. When I was grieving, I was much more appreciative of the people who just owned it outright and say, hey, I'm really messed up about this. I know that you are too. I am, you know, I want to be there and be supportive of you. And I don't really know how, um, but just know that I'm here for you and however you need. Um, and you know, if you need me or if you don't, I, that's one of the ways that I like to approach people who are grieving. If you need me or if you don't need me, I'm here. I'm here for whatever it is that you need. If you need a listening ear, if you need me to talk about something else so you can think about something else. If you need me to sit here and say nothing, or if you need me to sit here and say everything, if you want to talk about certain things with me, if you need me to do something, if there's something that you have to do that you don't want to do because it triggers you and I can help you with it, then you let me know what that is. Um, that's just one of the ways that I try to support people through their grief because unfortunately you don't really know what you need in, while you're grieving until you're grieving. Um, and it's just best to ask. I believe it's best to ask someone where, where they are and what they need um, as opposed to just assuming or not saying anything because you don't want to say the wrong thing. So I think my advice would just be open honesty, transparency, and patience, right? Um, this is just a hard conversation to have. But if you have, like, you know, the people that know your heart are going to feel your, your heart when you share it with them in this way. And so as you uh, wrap your arms around your friend, even at a distance, right? Because I remember you saying that you guys don't live in the same place. But as you reach out to her and wrap your arms around her, just letting her know that, you know, your presence is there. Your heart is with her. You're willing, you're willing to help her. You're willing to support her however she needs. And in her own way, she will articulate to you the kinds of support that is helpful to her during this very, very difficult time. Um, I mean, to be totally honest, I'm trying to do the same for Jade right now. She's kind of handling the grief um, process, you know, for her family. But asked her, what does she need me to do? And she was really, you know, honest and transparent. Like, I'm not in a space where I can do the show this week. And I said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about anything. I'll figure it out. I didn't really have time to find a guest host or anything like that. So that's why I'm stumbling through this show on my own. Um, it'll be uh, hopefully a quicker one. <laughs> hopefully it's not too painful. But, you know, I, you know, again, grief is one of those things that we all have to navigate. Um, and it's hard, right? But I'm much more um, comforted by, you know, honesty and openness about the fact that this is hard, right? And we don't really know how to do it, but we're going to figure it out together. And at the end of the day, just know that I love you and I'm here for you however you need me to be. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you guys for um, always writing in that special thanks to Starkeisha for sharing this letter. And I hope the advice that was shared advice in quotes, but I'm just talking, but I hope what, what I've shared has been helpful to you and anyone who may be, um, you know, grieving anything at this time. So I'm going to do a quick black woman self-care and maybe a quick petty peeve and then we'll wrap it on up. I deserve a Okay, this week in Black Women Self-Care, 
I have made a commitment to being more conscious about uh, the kinds of things that I ingest throughout my day. I've been doing some reading and in my own private devotional time, I've been challenged to think about what kinds of things I expose myself to. What kinds of music am I listening to? What kind of messages am I receiving? Um, and I hate to sound to say this out loud because my mom used to say it to me all the time, but garbage in, garbage out. If I don't do anything but sit around in the group chats and listen to people complain and, you know, gossip, or if I don't, if I'm only reading the blogs or looking at the shade room or, you know, even stuff as far as like, you know, watching Law and Order and other sort of crime shows, you know, I can feel after a while, you know, there's a heaviness, right? And so I've been trying to think about consciously ingesting and exposing myself to information that feeds my spirit and my soul. And so I've been conscious about my daily devotional time, reading my scriptures, also committed to either reading or listening to an audiobook, reading a book or listening to an audiobook. I sort of blew the dust off of my Audible uh, account, downloaded a couple of books to listen to, you know, just on my way back and forth from the gym or even around the houses I was cleaning up this weekend. I was listening to uh, I listened to uh, Lovey's book and ordered a couple of other books that I'm going to be getting into. So this is my Black Women Self Care. I'm just being more conscious about the kinds of materials that I ingest if I want to grow my um, in my professional work. If I want to be a better writer, I need to be a more avid reader. Um, and you know, just allowing things to inspire my my progress and productivity um, and my peace of mind. Right being conscious of the things that I, I'm watching and taking in. That's what I've been doing in my Black Women's Self-Care. I also, um, over the weekend, you know, didn't set any alarms and just let my body wake up when it wanted to, and that felt really, really good. Um, but, yeah, Black Women's Self-Care. I love to see it. I love to hear it. It's definitely been a, a more a process that I need to be more intentional about, you know, that whole luxuriating thing doesn't come naturally to me, but it's something that as I open myself up to it, it's, it's the muscle is building. So if you like me struggle with intentional self-care, I want to encourage you, um, to check that out, right? Um, get into that, lean into it a little bit more, even through the discomfort, it's worth it. Um, so yeah, let us know. There are other, you know, you guys have been so dope as to give us updates on your black women's self-care and the things that you're working about. And we love to read them. So go ahead and, um, keep sending them. Y'all know how to do that. Getting grown podcast at gmail.com. We can't wait to read your emails. All right. Petty peeve. I'm gonna do a quick email update and then a quick petty peeve and we can call this one a duh. And I want to be very responsible of the things I say to my sister. Because everybody know I can be real petty. P-E to the T-T-Y, honey, honey, honey. All right. It's time for a listener update or a listener letter that we got just in response to something that we said last week. Jade and I were talking about um, how just as we get older, we recall our parents fussing at us as children, not as whether, white, whether or not white people fuss at their kids. So we got a letter from Stephanie, who says, Hi, Jaden Kia, longtime, loyal, every week listener here. And yes, I am one of the six white women. <laughs> I'm even a patron of Jade and XD. My parents always told us, turn the lights off, turn down the heat, and said when we pay the bills, we can keep our own home lit and hot. <laughs> and we live in Minnesota, where it is sometimes 30 degrees below zero. Um, 
Thank you all for the work that you do. I learn something new each time I listen and I laugh too. It is a privilege for me to be able to listen to your podcast, a space that isn't for me, but a space that I cherish and enjoy. I'll continue to wash my legs and moisturize so I don't look 50 at 31. Love. Lots of love and peace, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie, for being one of the fearless six white women who listen to Getting Grown. We applaud you. Um, and, you know, thank you for sharing that letter and for your awesome awareness. Um, and I'm just grateful that you listen to the show and learn from it because that's really what we do this for. My petty peeve is kind of petty. So I'm just going to just try to put it on out there. If you follow me on Instagram, you may or may not have noticed or because uh, I posted something about this in my Instagram stories. But I don't know if you guys have been made aware. But Easter weekend, I believe on April 4th versus has announced that there will be a battle between the Osley brothers and earth, wind and fire. Now last week, just last week, Jade and I were talking about the elements and how they changed our lives um, from our, from the days of our childhood and youth all the way up to present day. And so, you know, she and I had a couple of moments to just share in our excitement about this battle and just about earth, wind and fire and, and, you know, just getting our outfits together to get down to the verses and watch the battle. And until I got on Twitter, I was feeling really good about this. I saw so much earth, wind and fire shade and hatred in the Twitter sphere that it really did trouble my spirit. And I don't know who raised you orphans and wayward children. Okay. To, to, to where you would even feel comfortable to fix your face, to question the legacy of earth, wind and fire. But my petty peeve is for you all. And I will just want to admonish you that before you get out on the internet, flapping your lips and typing really fast about things that you clearly don't understand. You need to get on into your uh, Spotify, Apple music, wherever you find your music uh, selections, wherever you subscribe, whatever you use to listen to your tunes, Pandora. I don't girl. I don't know. What is it? YouTube, girl, get your life. But I want you to just search Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then I want you to just stand back and read the pages of the discography, okay? And then you might even want to press play a couple of times and get your life, okay? No shade or disrespect to the Isley Brothers, but no shade or disrespect to Earth, Wind, and Fire neither, okay? I said what I said. And if you got a problem, you can say it to my face, and we can knuckle up. Anytime, any place. And that concludes this week's episode of Getting Grown. I appreciate you and thank each and every one of you for your patience. I know it was different with just me at the kitchen table, but I had a good time and I hope that you did too. Tune in next week uh, where we'll be back. Either I'll be back or Jade and I will be back. Either, or I, me and a guest will be back or whatever. Just come on back. Bring your snacks um, and we're going to have another good discussion here at the kitchen table bring your snacks uh until then make sure that you are minding the business that is yours okay the business that pays you and the business that you are responsible to pay okay nobody else's that's very important that's priority you also want to make sure that you are drinking your water because hydration is key dry nobody wants to dry nothing hello except for underarm because it was when the underarm gets sweaty. When your pits get sweaty, that's another conversation. But we, we, we don't want anything else to be dry, okay? Um, and finally, sorry. <laughs> I 
had a little, uh, you know, my, my brain was buffering a little bit there. You also want to moisturize your skin, okay? Because like Stephanie said, you will be uh, looking 50 when you're 31, okay? If you don't do that. You want to make sure that your skin is moist and remaining buoyant, <laughs> firm and full and supple. That's what you want out here. Because when you be looking all saggy and baggy and wrinkly, that's not what God has for any of us, okay? And um, that's it. Do that, okay? Your black will crack if it's dry. Love y'all. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>